Hey, Piers. It's Michelle. I've got some exciting news. The Piers Project has just produced a podcast for Bryony Kennedy, the CEO of award-winning Australian cosmetics brand, Adorn Cosmetics. If you've ever needed a compass to navigating the different areas of your life, then this podcast, Beauty, Business and Babies, is for you. In this fortnightly series, Bryony shares the tears and triumphs that come with navigating the tensions between the pivotal areas in a woman's life and assures women everywhere that they're not alone in feeling like a mess. So make sure to tune in now to Beauty, Business and Babies by Adorn Cosmetics on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just head straight to the link in this episode's description. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. For all of my introverted peers out there, relying on others can be scary. But as we all know, two or more brains are better than one. For our next guest, this is exactly what led to the beginning of a new business. I'm super excited to welcome Melanie Hollihan onto the show today. Melanie is a co-founder of the New York-based digital storytelling platform Stacker and was featured on the 2019 Forbes 30 Under 30 list. I'm super excited to talk to Melanie about why working in a team of ambitious people is imperative for success and how it can help us cultivate bigger dreams. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at the Peers Project, so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the incredible Melanie Holohan. Melanie. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Cool. So, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and all the awesome work that you were doing in the media tech space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Awesome. Cool. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Melanie. I am one of the founders of Stacker. So Stacker is an online website where we really pride ourselves on taking expert analysis and making them into these super digestible package stories. So 
we're really good at taking complex data sets and breaking them down into individual slides. So think of something like gun laws in every state or um, something more softer and fun, like the fastest dog breeds. But we typically write things that, that are quantitative and based in data, and then we break them down into individual slides. So I've been doing that for about three years. Uh, I have three other co-founders, so I'm not alone, and I'm sure I'll talk about them at some point because I really rely on them greatly. But before that, I was working for a startup called Graphic with a Q, and that was a startup based out of Santa Barbara. They were focused on also data analytics and creating different data, what they called knowledge graphs, but I work specifically on the media wing of that company. So that's something I've always been interested in is media in general. I went to the Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University, which is a, a pretty good journalism school. So that's kind of been the area I've always wanted to work in, but I knew I wanted to work somewhere in the intersection of, of journalism and media and tech because that's a very viable space right now, but also because it's just something that's always interested me. And I think there's a lot left to be done crossing those two industries. Super interesting. It's I always love yeah, just kind of hearing your perspective on what you've done in your career to date. Um, and so that's why I always ask that question. But I think it's so fascinating to see kind of how you have, your company does really cross over those three areas. And that's kind of what you're most interested in. So look, I'm excited to dive deeper into your business and all of that today. But before we do, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? That's a great question. I see why you like it. So I grew up in San Diego, California, which is heaven on earth. I think that the way that impacted me the most, though, was that I actually left. So I left San Diego and went to college in upstate New York because I felt like where I grew up and my childhood was just so idyllic and I needed to experience something different, even something as small as not great weather. So I think that that is the way that that it affected me is it taught me that things can be great and wonderful, but that doesn't mean that you should you should not try other things. And I'll still always go back and I might live there one day in the future. Uh, I went back to Central California for a little bit nearby. Um, I've lived in Florida, I've lived in Texas, but it, it just taught me that you can start in you know one of the best places, quote, but that doesn't mean that that there's not other other ways of life and other places to be. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. I think I think so many of us, you know, who have been fortunate enough to actually grow up in really amazing places and and whatnot can often just kind of get comfortable and go, oh, well, I could just be here forever. And, you know, for, for us down under, you know, I live in Melbourne right. and it's the world's most livable city many years in the row in quotation marks. And um, it's funny because it's a similar thing where it's like, oh, it's so great. I'm so grateful. But being able to travel, being able to go live somewhere else, being able to experience something different and actually realize that, wow, we do have it really good over here. Um, is always so valuable. How do you think, I guess, so you moved to New York. Is that is that what happened? Yeah. So my my life map is, is a little bit, I bounced around a lot, but I lived in upstate New York, Syracuse for college, great university, very cold climate and very far from home. And then I also lived in New York City for a bit. Stacker is actually based in New York City and that's where I started it. But I, interestingly enough, am engaged to be married to somebody in the military. So I've also bounced around in that respect. But I did, yeah, I did live in, in the city for a bit, for about three years. Fascinating. No, I love it. And talk to us a little bit about Melanie, the early years, like, you know, when you were just growing up in Santa Barbara, I think you said, you know, what 
What was that like for you? What did you love to do? Were you always still inquisitive about tech, et cetera? Yeah, great question. Um, so I, I grew up in San Diego. I did live in Santa Barbara also, but in, I guess, young Mel was very inquisitive. I was, you know, always asking a lot of questions about a lot of things, which I think was annoying to the people around me, but I just, I never, I never felt like any answer was good enough. And I still think that that kind of drives me in a lot of what I do in my work. And that's kind of why Stacker tells these stories because they answer things as objectively as possible. A lot of questions that people might have. So I think that would be the number one way that, that, at least my parents would describe me. Um, but I was also very social, you know, like very, I've always been interested in people and, and what makes them tick and, you know, how, how can I help this person with something that they might not even know they're struggling with kind of thing. So I'm still, I think that professionally, I'm still trying to find the best way to use that. But, but as it stands, I kind of apply that to like my management style, just managing people from a very empathetic perspective and from, from almost like a social perspective. Like I want, I want to get to know them before I can best help them kind of thing. So interesting. And it's so fascinating, isn't it? How kind of those early traits that we have do stick with us and they do come up in our work and our lives as we kind of get older. So, so interesting. So I want to dive a bit deeper into your time at U- um I was about to say uni, college, your time at college at Syracuse. Like, talk to us about that time there. I, I saw that you did a Bachelor of Arts specialising in advertising and international relations. You know, what did that time at college teach you and kind of how do you think it shaped you into who you've become today? Great question. So I think, so I, I studied advertising in the School of Journalism, which is weird, um, but that's a thing that they offer. And I think that speaks a lot to what I wanted for my future, even though I didn't know it at the time. I wanted to be in media and journalism and storytelling, but I felt like advertising was was the closest I would get to kind of like that more technical space, if that makes sense. So that was that was my choice for my first major. And then international relations was just like a passion. I knew I wanted to travel. I wanted an excuse to travel. And in doing that, I learned a lot, but I'd say that major and like no offense to anyone who's studying that. I think it's different every school, but that for me, that was something that unless I was going to go on and get like a master's, it wasn't going to be a big focus. Whereas my advertising major was super hands-on. So I was doing things, I was creating campaigns for, you know, real companies in the Syracuse area. I was, tra- you know, I got to go on these different trips to do campaigns for big organizations. It was, it was a really cool opportunity. It was super hands-on. So I graduated kind of knowing that I liked advertising, that I loved media for sure. And just that, you know, I had already kind of tried it. It was almost like, like four years of an internship versus four years of book studying, which I got with that other major. And I think that satisfied different parts of my brain, but I just didn't feel like I had a tangible thing from that, if that, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. I think it's so great that you were able to get that practical experience, you know, for our peers out there listening who, you know, perhaps they're, they've just finished up a degree and majority of it was just book stuff. And, you know, they really feel like they could go out there and get that practical experience. What advice would you give to them about making that happen for themselves, about trying to make the connections and about actually going out there and getting those internships? What advice would you give? I would say, first of all, there's nothing wrong with continuing education. I know it's expensive and for some people it's not an option, but if you, if you do have one of those majors where it, it took four years to learn the fundamentals from books, then maybe it makes sense to continue and go get a master's or or what have you. Um, but I think more practically for most people would be to do a lot of, I know it's a buzzword, but networking. Even if that's with your professors or 
you know, with people a year ahead of you in college who might have had the internship you wanted. I think it doesn't have to be about this like exchange of something, for, you know, getting something from them. I think it could be more just getting to know them and seeing their paths because I think a lot of people have a non-traditional path when it comes to those majors. And if you, you might not even know that's an option. So you might study international relations and not even think that, you know, you want to be working in on some, at some data company on data projects about international data. We work with those companies all the time, but you might not even know that's an option because traditionally people, you know, go get a master's or, or whatever. So I would say definitely utilizing your network of people who are studying the same thing as you have studied the same thing as you or are teaching the same thing as you would be really helpful. I guess what I'm interested to know also is the fact that like literally what you just said was so spot on the non-traditional way of doing things, like not even realizing that there are other ways to go about it. It's interesting because with your trajectory, I almost feel like you did that traditional kind of path at graphic and then you went off and really explored, but maybe that still happened earlier. Talk to us about the value that you've found in actually navigating kind of the road less traveled. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it was something, again, that I didn't really know was possible. Um, and I mentioned this when I started, and I'm always very excited to talk about them, but I do have co-founders. And those are the people that I networked with in previous roles. Um, and they basically, they I wasn't the genius who said, I have this idea. I was the person who they said, you know, would you be interested in, in coming along on this ride? And it was something that I never thought was an option. So I never, I, I never thought about starting my own thing. I thought, I definitely was ambitious. I thought about, you know, going and becoming a CEO of some company or becoming a creative director at an ad agency or something very ambitious, but I just didn't think about doing something myself. So I think that I relied on others and not in a bad way. Like I, I surrounded myself with people that I knew would have these other ideas. And there were people who had different ideas for startups or different ideas for places I could take my career, like a, an Airbnb or an Uber or something like that. So I had a lot of different voices giving me advice and I'm, I'm very, I'm not ashamed of that. I think that's what most people are afraid to do is to kind of lean on others who are, who are oftentimes smarter than them. And I, I like to be the least smart person in my group so that I, you know, I can get, get that perspective from different people. I actually am so similar in that way and I couldn't agree more. I th I think, you know, even just down to this podcast that we've been hosting for years now, but just being able to sit down and chat with amazing humans that have done awesome things that are most of the time way smarter than me is just like so valuable. Like I actually, and then it kind of rubs off, you know, in a good way. I'm like, oh, there you go. So maybe I've kind of picked up a bit of that smartness. Um, no, I love it. Awesome. So look, Kind of, I want to dive a bit deeper then into your time at Graphic. Talk to us about, because you progressed like really quite far up that company. I think you were there for a total of about three to four years. Talk to us about that opportunity, how it kind of came about, how you made that happen, and then how you progressed so quickly. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So it's it started with one of the, my colleagues now had actually recruited me to that company out of college. So he was looking for people in journalism schools because Graphic was this small startup. I think at the time they had like 50 employees maybe. So it wasn't teeny tiny, but it was definitely small. And they were looking for people to take all the work they were doing with data and find uses for it with the press and with media companies, whether that be marketing or ad sales or um, telling stories with the data. So. I kind of, I definitely feel like I got lucky in that respect in that, that there was somebody actively recruiting for my college, which I, I 
don't take for granted. But then once I got there, I really took that opportunity to basically use those personality traits that I know that I have since I was younger. I was asking a lot of questions. I was figuring out, I knew it was a small enough company that I could, I could test things and fail and it would be okay. So I basically leaned on the people around me, but but spent a lot of time just figuring out what were other uses for what we were working on. And I think that's where I got my success. I think that there were other people doing that too. And they were the colleagues of mine that seemed to succeed the most as well. So I, I got to like climb the ladder, so to speak. It was a smaller company, so it wasn't as big of a ladder, but work my way up to the top, get management experience under my belt, and then just work with these big media clients, which is no coincidence, the people I work with now at my own company. So, um, so I think that, that a lot of a lot of my success was just like really knowing that I I was very fortunate to be offered that position and not taking it for granted and and hitting the ground running asking questions figuring out where I where I made the most sense because I think that something that Graphic did that's very smart and that we try to do at Stacker is hired really smart capable people not necessarily just hired for a role so you might have gotten a role when you when you got the job but but you were expected to see what else how else you could contribute. So I think that's a lesson that I learned there that that I've taken to Stacker and will take everywhere that I go. So valuable. I think, you know, so many of us, especially when we go into more traditional, even corporate roles, we kind of think we're, we're hired to do this specific thing. That's what we're here for. Let's, you know, let's do it. But I think there is such value in even if the company isn't pushing it in just kind of looking around and going, hey, how can I help out that person? How can I connect with that person, help them out? You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there who are in that traditional role at the moment? Maybe they're not super satisfied. Maybe they do want something different. But, you know, what advice would you give to them? I would say try to push your limits a little bit. Obviously, you kind of have to play by the rules before you can make your own rules. So definitely, you know, for a very traditional company, coming in on your first day and trying to do something different might not be appealing. But if you've spent a little bit of time there and and you're accomplishing your your basic tasks, you have your core competencies down, then I think that it would only be looked on as as ambitious if you if you just asked questions about what else you could be doing. How how can you make your manager's job easier? How can you see how can you understand what other teams are doing and see if there's like not necessarily a need for you there, but a, a need on your own team that can help them kind of thing. So I think that even when there's boundaries and bureaucracy, there's there's always an opportunity to ask questions and learn more about other functions and other other business needs. So I think it's just a matter of putting a little bit of time in. I don't it's probably different for someone in finance than it is for someone in, you know, a, I don't know, a consulting firm, but I think that there is there comes a point where if you are feeling bored, there's probably more you could be doing and it's kind of on you to to figure that out. Um something that I also one of my colleagues always said at Graphic was no one cares about your career as much as you. So it's kind of like a negative outlook, but it's also, it's, it's just like, you have to, you have to kind of, if you want to do something different, if you want to help in a different way, you have to ask for that order. So well said. Cool. So I want to dive into Stack Up and how it all started, your teammates, which you've kind of talked about before, your co-founders. Talk to us a little bit about that initial idea, how you got pulled in, roped into it, and then that those first few steps that you took to kind of get it off the ground. So um, something that I, I don't know if I mentioned in my brief intro, but stat, or graphic was actually acquired by Amazon at, at one point. Um, so that was important because I was working out of the graphic New York City office, which was actually shut down when it was acquired by Amazon. 
Um, we also had roles within Amazon, but it was kind of complicated. And it was basically this period where I was either expected to, to work at Amazon, which would have been great. And again, I don't take that for granted or to, it was like the right time for me to move on. Um, so in that, in that New York city office, I had three colleagues who had talked about breaking off and doing something on their own. And we, you know, they had thrown around a couple of ideas and I all thought, I thought a lot of them were interesting, but I didn't really think that they were for me. I was kind of interested in either staying at Amazon or finding a job at somewhere comparable. But what happened was we got together one, I, I can't remember if, I think we had got together at, at one of their apartments and we were just discussing the things that we could do. And at Graphic, we worked really closely with data and we had done some partnerships where we told stories with data. So we thought we could just make an entire business out of just that. Something that is a small part of one business could could easily stand on its own with the right manpower and, and legwork. So that was the impetus of it. Um, and I knew that I wanted to get involved, whether it succeeded or failed, because that was my favorite part of my job at Graphic. So if I could make a whole career out of that, it, it seemed like a no-brainer to me that I would try. And I had a lot of the relationships in place already. So it was pretty much after that conversation, we reached out to to the, some of the partners we had, some partners that we had dreamed of having at our at our old job and basically discussed if we told these stories with data, would you be willing to put them on your site, basically? And, and everyone said they would give it a try. So we gave ourselves about six months, I think, knowing most businesses take a lot longer to be profitable and successful. But we wanted to give ourselves a shorter period of time since we felt like we were taking something that already existed. We weren't inventing a new product. We weren't creating a new app. So we felt like we we could easily see within six months if it was something that we could continue doing. So I kind of made a mental note. I said, you know, if in, if in six months we're seeing no traction, then I'll go back to what then became plan B, which was probably going into a big tech company. So fascinating. I think it's just so interesting that it was almost there in the background. It was really up to you guys to just see it and go, oh, wow, we could actually do something here. Talk to us about that decision to leave the comfortable corporate, you know, big company paycheck and all of that kind of stuff and really just go, okay, the next six months, I might not see any kind of revenue, income and anything like that. You know, how did you shift your mindset to go, I'm okay with that. Let's do it. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I don't know if I a hundred percent know exactly how I did it. Looking back, it seems scarier, but at the time it felt, it felt like the safest risk I could take. Um, so, you know, like I said, I was talking to a lot of people, it was this transition point because the job that I had that had become comfortable sort of was at least going to change if not disappear under a bigger company. So, um, so because that there were people all around me doing new things and some of them were extremely risky things that I didn't have full confidence in. So this felt like the safest of the, that category. So I think I was lucky in that respect. I also think it was just sort of giving that mental defense mechanism of, okay, I have six months. So if I make a six month mistake, that's okay. And I'll probably learn something from it. And, you know, it's not the craziest thing that anyone's ever done. People, some people around me tried to scare me a little bit out of it. You know, my parents, I love them, but they were like, oh, you have this, you could work at Amazon. I mean, they have all these benefits and you're going to do this instead. But after a couple of conversations, they agreed that it was definitely a, a more calculated risk than, than, just like starting something from scratch, which is awesome. And I hope to do that one day too, but it was kind of like taking something that we had tested and scaling it. So fascinating. I think, you know, so many of us, I think it's almost normal to just go through that process of, oh my goodness, if I want to do this thing, it might not work out and it might, you know, 
I might have to suffer a little bit in the in the process and having our parents and and other people around us going, are you sure you want to, you know, how do we not block out but just appreciate what people have to say about, I guess, our decisions and continue to move forward? I think it's, again, setting some sort of some parameters. So whether that's a time frame or a budget or, you know, at this point, I'm going to at least check back in with myself. It might not be um, in six months, I'm out, but it might be in six months, I'm going to revisit this and and kind of go back to the drawing board. Um, and I think for most companies, it will be longer than that. So it's a little bit more of a leap of faith. Um, so maybe it's based on a budget or what have you. But I, I do think there's, there's value in, in the advice that everyone's giving you. It comes from a good place. In terms of parents, it's usually safer advice. So I feel a little bit better blocking it out. But a lot of my peers thought that there was a a better opportunity for me out there. And there still probably is, but I, I just had to decide and stick with it and give myself those parameters. And at the six month mark, we felt good about what we were doing. So we continued on. Mm, love that. Talk to us a little bit about that, that after the six months, you were like, okay, this is like kind of working. What happened next? How did you grow it? And what happened? So we basically had to decide if we were going to continue to do a lot of the work ourselves or start hiring, which is a decision that that all startups will face. And some of them can maintain with a smaller, leaner staff. Some of them have to scale massively. We went with a smaller staff, but we wanted to turn ourselves more into managers, which was a weird transition because we had been doing everything ourselves. So at that at that point, there was four of us, we were doing everything ourselves and we just didn't couldn't see a world where maybe we had like some help from interns or contractors, but we just didn't see a world where we, we delegated that those tasks. Um, so that was kind of the next step was figuring out what our hiring needs were. We didn't want to be a company that hired 50 people and then had to let them go. So we wanted to be very careful. And now we're at about, we're three years in and we have about 15 full-time employees. And then we have some, some contract work that we still do, but that was a big decision because we could conceivably have done it ourselves and maybe not grown as much, but also not had to hire. So that was a big turning point. What made you guys just go, you know what, we're going to do it. We're just going to hire. Like, how did you guys come to that? You know, that is a huge decision to make. I think any, you know, anyone who's, who's been a freelance for a long time or has got a side hustle, they'll be doing a lot and now their work's getting a lot and they think, oh, I could still do it. But like, it, maybe it would be too, you know, maybe it would be a bit too much for me. You know, what advice would you give? And, and when did you know that, yeah, like, we're just going to do it? I think I was probably the least open to it at first because I do, I take a lot of pride in my work. So I was thinking I do this really well because I've been doing it for a while now. And so having someone else do it just seems kind of a pain. But I think that one of my colleagues pulled me aside and basically said that it's just not efficient. And eventually I'm not going to want to do this, even if it's 10 years from now. So why not teach someone now so that there is someone who's capable of doing it? Should we continue? Should we want to step out completely? And that was a pretty eye-opening moment. I just don't think that way all the time. The One of my colleagues calls it the hit by a bus risk. Like you want to eliminate the fact that you could be hit by a bus and you want this business to succeed, especially when you have co-founders. So kind of being really valuable is great, but if you're bottlenecking all the information and doing all the work yourself, it's just not efficient or feasible long-term. So I think that I had to be talked into it to answer your question, which is which is fine. And that's again why I partnered with smart people. But now looking back, I can't imagine doing that 5 a.m. to midnight grind, doing everything myself. It would not have, I would have definitely burned out. So 
And what advice would you give on burnout? Like, you know, I think as founders especially, and it really is as any kind of ambitious young person trying to do something, whether we've got our full-time job, we've got our side hustle on the side, or we've stepped out and we're doing something on our own, you know, most of the time we do push ourselves to that next level. You know, was there a time where that happened for you? And then kind of how did you overcome it? So I think at the point where we had that conversation, I was probably a few months away from burning out, at least with like the day-to-day tasks. So I think, like I said, surrounding myself by people who helped me prevent that was clutch. Um, But I think for people who are either on their own or who are just not thinking in that way, it's, it's something that they just have to think about. They have to put it in front of mind, whether that's like writing down again, and this, at this point, I'm going to check in with myself and be honest and say, how many hours am I putting into this? Because if you do the math, you know, you're not going to be able to put those hours in for, for too much longer. And I think that people who start their own thing tend to be people who do have pride in their work and do work hard. So it's hard to, to do that without making those checkpoints. Mm. Checking in with ourselves. I love it. I'm going to do personally going to do that more often. Um, Cool. Okay, cool, Mel. Well, I mean, look, we've, we've touched on so many different topics today. I think the thing I find most interesting about you is that it feels to me like you're more the, the tech head and the one that's like, okay, cool. How can we all make this, you know, work? And through the, through the course of building your company, you've developed those really strong leadership skills. You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there who, Maybe they're just great at what they do and they're not really thinking about leading or they're not thinking about, you know, developing any kind of either it's management or just like maybe more interpersonal skills, who knows, you know, what advice would you give to them about kind of looking outside of the things that you're just really naturally really good at and actually learning to develop those other areas? I think I would say um, that it's it's great to be good at, at what you do. And I totally see how that that kind of becomes not a trap, but just something that's like comfortable and and makes sense. But that there are so many things out there, just like I said, you might not even know that you can use international relations degree for consulting. You might not even know you're good at something or that you like something. So you have to try other things, which sounds a little bit corny, but that's the only way that I, I figured it out, I think. And in terms of leadership, I think that you could even start, no matter what you do, there are people around you that you could test your leadership skills with. And I think that it's, it's a natural thing for most people to enjoy because you'll learn about a lot about yourself and you'll, you know, you'll, you'll help someone else probably. So even if it's just leading your peers at your current job, your teammates, or in your personal life, I think that if you try it there, you'll see that you, you probably like it and you probably could apply that to your career. I love that. And I guess kind of leading into, as we kind of come to the close of today's episode, I guess something I'm really curious to know is firstly, how have you managed kind of your personal life with building this company? You know, you said you're now engaged and your husband kind of moves around or your fiance you know, moves around a lot. And, you know, in the last three years while building Stacker, how have you managed the two? That's a great question. Um, and I definitely, I'm somebody who, anyone who works with me knows a lot about my personal life. Like I'm very open about it. Um, and kind of from the start, I've, I've said, you know, I met, my fiance, Michael, around the time we started Stacker, which was terrible timing. But it gave me the opportunity to say, you know, maybe this is not the person. I don't know if this is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I hope it is. But in case it is, or in case I want to go home to my family in San Diego, like whatever it is, I want to build this flexible culture. And that's something that I'm responsible for at Stacker still is a lot of like the, the people operations and the culture. 
And we, we made that decision really early on because it's hard to build a culture and change it. Um, so we basically said, whether we hire or not, at least for the four of us, we're going to keep a pretty flexible culture. We're going to try out working remote at some point. We're going to you know, see how that works. Um, and then as we hired people, it's no surprise that that was appealing to a lot of the people we hired. So that actually became a way to attract talent. So we definitely have people work really hard at Stacker, um, but we've built in like a lot of flexibility for working remote and for, for other aspects of personal life. Mm. I love that. And we're so similar here at the Peace Project. It's like, you know, for me personally, I'm like, I just honestly want to be traveling and working. You know, that's really what I want to do. And I think also just having the flexibility, as you said, like even just being able to not have to sit there in the morning traffic and try and get places, you know, and sometimes we do. And sometimes it's, oh, you can just, it's cool if you just want to like work from home or if you're you're heading overseas for a period of time and we still want you to work with us, you know. Um, so I find that really interesting and really cool how you implemented it so early on. Oh, Mel, such a cool conversation. I think, you know, one of the last few questions I've got for you is what do you think was one of your biggest learnings throughout this entrepreneurial journey to date? I think I have a a couple, but I think one could be, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, I think if I wasn't failing, I probably was doing something wrong. But I think that one one could be like I talked a lot about hiring and and not burning out. I I definitely it took some convincing for me to get there. But once we started hiring, I think I still was not delegating enough. I didn't have enough trust in the smart people that I hired at, at the very beginning. And so I wasn't really accomplishing what what hiring was supposed to accomplish. I was still working a lot. I was still doing a lot myself. But at the end of the day, if you, you know, if you teach someone how to do something, it's going to take you more work up front, but then down the line, they can operate without you, which is obviously where you want to be. That's the fun stuff. We love it when it gets to that point. Um, so great. So look, Mel, over the last you know three years since building Stacker, you've received countless awards, countless recognition for your work. You know, most recently you've been featured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list in 2019 for your awesome achievements. And so I guess, you know, for our peers out there listening, one of the final questions I have is what advice would you give to our peers out there who perhaps have big goals and big dreams and big ambitions just like you, but maybe they're just a bit confused as to where to start either with their goal or their ambitions, and maybe they're they, they're lacking the courage to actually go out there and make it happen. What advice would you give? I think this answer would be similar to another one that I gave just Surround yourself with really intelligent people, people who have similar goals. Um, you might not start a company with them like I did, but I think they'll inspire you. And even in my personal life, I do that. You know, I, I don't spend all of my weekends having intellectual conversations with people, but the people that I that I am friends with and that I surround myself with are people that that are very ambitious and have goals. And they, you know, m- my friends have way more accolades than I do, and I'm excited about that because it tells me, okay, maybe that's something I want to strive for. And maybe it's not. I don't, not everything is the same um, and everybody's path is different. But I think surrounding yourself with like-minded, goal-oriented people is the best way to achieve that. Love it. Awesome. So, look, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Mel, for the awesome work you've done and that you're doing, for showing us that, you know, we can go out there and make it happen and make our dreams and goals happen and by surrounding ourselves with awesome people who also share that similar vision. Um, And for this, we really do appreciate you. Thank you. I mean, I appreciate you too. This was, this was fun. Um, And I've listened to some of your stuff. It's, it's really awesome. And you're helping a lot of people. 
awesome. Oh, so appreciate it. I love it. So our final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? The value of pursuing what you're most passionate about is that you can enjoy things that you have to do every day. I think that we've talked a lot about traditional roles versus non-traditional roles. And there are definitely traditional roles that people can be passionate about. But if you take the, if you get in the driver's seat and you build some sort of career that's related to your passion, you're never going to have a bad day at work. Even, even the worst days will be better than they would be if you were, if you were pursuing something you weren't passionate about. Ah, I love it. Mel, ladies and gentlemen, we've had a blast. And for everyone else who wants to learn more about you, where can people learn more about you and Stacker? Um, So you can go to stacker.com. That is where all of our content is. And I'm accessible via LinkedIn. I'm not super active on social. So I'd say that's probably the best place to, to find me. Perfect. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks again, Mel. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Michelle. It's been so fun. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>